evidence and answers. We're seeing an increase in occult themes in the movies today. What accounts for this significant increase? What is the danger in increased exposure to occult teachings and practices in the movies? How can we teach our children to discern between truth and error in entertainment? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Pat and his guest, former New Age practitioner and astrologer, Marcia Montenegro, began a discussion about the occult and entertainment, emphasizing the importance of training our children to discern truth from the false teachings of the occult. Today we will conclude this fascinating interview. Remember, if you missed any part of this broadcast, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and look up Dr. Strange in the Occult, and you can download it or listen online. Now, on to part two. So, in the occult, what you have is you, you have imitations of God. So, here we have Jesus who walked on water, who rebuked the sea and the wind. We have this verse from Psalm 104. And then we have Dr. Strange exerting power over wind and water. I don't think that's an accident. I think that this is from Satan, and it is his way to try to show he has power like God. In the movie The Craft, which came out, oh gosh, you know, I guess 1998 or something like that, it's about four, actually five teenage girls who are witches. One of them is, quote-unquote, the good witch. And in one of the scenes... They're at the beach, and they all fall asleep at the beach. And then one of them wakes up, and she looks out, and she sees another of the girl, one of the teenage girls, walking on the water. Well, you know, who walks on the water in the Bible? Jesus. And I remember when I watched I watched that movie because it was so popular with so many teenagers, and it actually got a lot of teenage girls to get involved in Wiccan witchcraft. I had them tell me that. I had many of them tell me that. So that's why I watched the movie. And when I saw that scene, I mean, it, that was just so chilling to me. I'm like, Satan just loves to imitate, you know, loves to try to imitate Jesus and look, make himself look, you know, make anybody except Jesus look good. So that was another thing in Dr. Strange. Another thing that's very obvious is astral projection. They actually have visuals of that where you supposedly leave your body and go somewhere. I actually had a lot of astral projection experiences. Now, I do want to say this. I don't think that it's actually possible. I think it's an, a delusion or an illusion. And that you think you're leaving your body, you feel like you're leaving your body, you actually can see your body on the bed or the floor or whatever. I don't think it's possible because I think that only happens at death, that your, your spirit leaves your body. And so that's my own opinion on it, and I don't think we actually know what happens, but that's my opinion. But that is part of Dr. Strange. Another thing I noticed was that the ancient one says things don't always have to make sense. So she's, you know, training Dr. Strange and she says things don't always have to make sense in order to kind of break through his his reasoning and his desire to be rational or logical. This concept is very common in the New Age and the occult. It's very anti-reason and anti-logic. You know, we see this a lot of times. It was even in Star Wars where Luke Skywalker is told not to think before he goes on this dangerous mission. And, you know, this is this whole idea that you have to get beyond your brain and your thinking and you're just kind of go on this 
special intuitive knowledge or something else, and your thinking gets gets in the way of this. It gets in the way of the true knowledge or the true spirituality, which is actually an idea in the New Age. And this, of course, goes against God because logic and reason are rooted in God's character. This is really part of who God is. He's a God of order. He's a God of reason. Logic comes from God, you know, the law of non-contradiction. <laughs> if A and B are not the same, A and A cannot be A and B at the same time, A is A, B is B, etc. So I see that attacks on logic and reason are all constantly present in non-Christian religions and in the occult and the New Age. So I saw that in this movie. There's also the idea that there's more than one reality in, in Doctor Strange, and this is very common in the New Age and the occult. There's casting spell. They use the phrase casting spells and conjure shields. Now, conjure is a word, of course, from the occult, which means you're conjuring something. You're basically practicing occult magic or sorcery. And so conjuring something is doing an occult activity, and objects are used in Doctor Strange to exert power, like the actual object is supposed to have power. And this becomes very big, apparently, in the multiverse movie. I think there's something about an amulet in there that's kind of a central part of the plot. And there's some kind of, you know, powers attached to this object. That's also another occult belief. And that's where we get the idea of good luck charms from. It's the idea that this object actually can bring you good fortune or protect you from bad things. So those were some of the occult practices um, or concepts that I saw in the movie. Yeah, well, that was a pretty big list there. But there's another, yeah, <laughs> yeah another real popular series out there, the Harry Potter series. Yeah. Now, not only in theaters, but it's constantly uh, being replayed on cable TV there. Yes. But that's filled also with occult themes, isn't it? Yes, it is. I read all the books and I saw the movies. And on my website at ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org, under book evaluations on the articles page, I have those articles. They're listed on um, the Harry Potter books. And I wrote on each one of them. One of them, I, I wrote a very brief summary of it. But I pretty much on, on, on the others, I went into great detail, giving examples that I found that showed an occult concept or an actual occult theme, and I explain why, I back everything up, and I explain why it's occultic. And so, yes, it also has fantasy in it, and this is what's confusing. There are fantasy things that happen in Harry Potter, but they're also occult concepts, and I think because people see the fantasy, they just assume it's all fantasy. And unfortunately, a lot of people, even some Christians, think the occult is fantasy. They don't think it's real. Now, it's not real in the sense that people in the occult claim it's real, you know, where they actually claim I'm able to, you know, I have there's this power in nature and I'm able to draw on it to do this or something. Okay, they can't really do what they claim, but the concept is there. It's the occult concept. And so while it, you maybe can't deliver on it, <laughs> the concept is very occultic and very real. So I go through Harry Potter very carefully. There are many, many things. Of course, he's learning how to cast spells. That's probably the most obvious one. And the interesting thing, though, is that his enemy is Voldemort, and Voldemort and Harry both draw on the same power. 
for their spells or whatever whatever supernatural thing they're doing, they're drawing on the same power. But supposedly Harry is doing it for good and Voldemort is doing it for evil. Well, this is also a concept of the occult. This is especially in modern Wiccan witchcraft, you have the concept of white magic and black magic. So there's the idea you can do evil with it or you can do good with it. And if you do good with it, that's okay. So a lot of witches will say, or at least in the past, they used to say, I only do white magic. And so that, that concept has slightly shifted to where there's an idea now that black magic can be done if you're advanced enough because it's really just deeper magic. It's not really bad magic. So, you know, it even changes. <laughs> that even changes. But I'm not saying all Wiccans and witches believe that, but that's there. In Harry Potter, you have that concept as well. So power is neutral. And all that matters is how you use it. Of course, according to God's word, casting spells or using sorcery is bad, period. It doesn't matter whether you think you can use it for good or not. That doesn't count. It is still the same thing. It's the actual source of power and trying to access that that is evil. That's where the problem is. And thinking that you can access it and that it's okay. So Harry Potter has that. He takes classes in divination. Now, they do make fun of the divination teacher in the books. Harry doesn't like his divination class. Yet, in book five, his good friend Hermione, because they're the three, you know, the three good friends, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, Hermione gives him a book for Christmas called Arithmancy, which is nothing more than another word for numerology. And he's very, very excited because, you know, he says, oh, I've been wanting that book. Thank you. Thank you. And he's very excited to have received this book. So despite his supposed dislike of divination, he's excited to get a book on numerology, which is a form of divination. So that's a very specific thing. And I actually found a page online and it was it was kind of a, a, it was supposedly Hermione's page. Like, of course, it isn't because she's a, just a character in a book. But it was Hermione's page, and it was for children or young teenagers, you know, all about numerology. And I also found, and this was even more disturbing, Scholastic. Scholastics was the book publisher of the Harry Potter books in the United States. And so Scholastics on their website, and that's how a lot of the Harry Potter books got read in some of the advanced learning classes in the schools is because of Scholastics. Scholastics on their website had a page where they invited readers of Harry Potter or anybody to send in their spells. And I'm not making this up. They, they said, send in your spells. If you do spells, if you cast spells, send us your spells. <laughs> so I spent quite a long time on that page looking at some of the responses and what different people had sent in. A lot of them were young teenagers because they would put their age, you know, Jessica, age 12, you know, Marilyn, age 13 or whatever. And they would have their spell and they would sometimes say, oh, this is what I use in my practice of Wicca. These are like really, you know, young, I mean, very young, really still almost children or young teenagers. And they're being encouraged in casting spells by this page, inviting them to send them in and saying, oh, thank you for sending in your spells, you know, which is what it said on the page. So I, try, I pointed this out to people because it was so alarming. And this is before Facebook existed. I wasn't on Facebook, so I couldn't post about it. 
Um, I think I put it in my newsletter out to my prayer partners. I talked about it when I was speaking in youth groups and at churches. And the Harry Potter, of course, was a constant topic that I was asked about. So when I had, if I had time, I would share this information. That was pretty alarming. So you can see how this is supposedly okay. People say it's just fiction, but you see it has an effect in the real world. And I also had children emailing me, or they were young teenagers maybe, Maybe they just saw that I wrote about Harry Potter and they didn't bother reading any of my articles because they would email me and say, do you know if there's a school like Hogwarts? And they would seriously ask me. They say, I want to go to a school like Hogwarts. I want to go to school um, like Harry Potter does. Is there really a Hogwarts somewhere? Is there one in the United States? And I also read that the Pagan Federation in the UK was besieged with people asking for information on casting spells and practicing what we would call witchcraft. They were so besieged by people, they had to hire extra or get extra staff uh, on their team in order to respond to all of these requests for information. So I was getting a lot of emails. And at that time, I mean, see, there wasn't social media. So you had to really be motivated as a, as a child or a young teenager to email somebody. So that, that wasn't a normal thing people really most people did it, you know, adults did it or whatever. So I was getting these questions from teenagers and college students, too, who were huge fans of the book, especially when we got to the, when several books had been out, they had been introduced to the first book when they were maybe, you know, 10, 11, 12, and now they're going into college and the books are still coming out and they're big fans. So they would email me and say, you know, why don't you like Harry Potter, you know, and and some of them, though, actually were doing papers for college classes on Harry Potter, and they were using my material to show the other point of view, you know, to show that not everybody loved Harry Potter. So I was a big spoil sport for Harry Potter fans. Um, those are just some. Oh, I'm going to give one more example, which I think was probably one of the most powerful things that hit me reading the book. I'm not sure. I think this is in the fourth book. It's The Conjuring of the Patronus. The Patronus is a, a patron spirit that protects you, that appears in the form of an animal. So right away you have kind of, you have the concept of a spirit animal. But it was the process that is explained that really got to me. So Harry is learning how to conjure the Patronus. And the way he's taught to do this is a process that I was familiar with from the New Age that's called the conjuring of a thought form. A thought form in the New Age is where you are able to conjure up the presence of somebody or something that's not actually real, but it's independent of you. It can actually be like an extension of you. And it's in a way, it's not real, but in a way it is. It's, that's why it's called a thought form. Now, at the time, I didn't know that much about it. Since I became a Christian, I came across something from Tibetan Buddhism or uh, from the practices of magic in Tibetan Buddhism, and there are quite a bit of that in Tibetan Buddhism, something called a tulpa. And a tulpa is kind of the spirit entity that you conjure up, and you can actually get it to do things for you. And apparently there was a horror film based on this. I came across that in my research. I did not see it. I did not see it. And I thought, wow, that sounds a lot like a thought form. And I just have to wonder if that's where it came from. I mean, I really don't know. It seems kind of odd something from Tibetan Buddhism would come 
into the new, I mean, new age does draw on Eastern spirituality, but that's just such an esoteric idea. I don't know. So this conjuring of the Patronus I wrote in my article was like the conjuring of the thought form. Now I want to add something to this that verified it. I got a phone call while all this Harry Potter stuff was going on from Carol Matriciana in California, who went to be with the Lord several years ago. She and her husband had something called Jeremiah Films, and they did a lot of films exposing the New Age because she had come out of the New Age. And she wrote a book called Gods of the New Age, which I read as a new believer. And she did a very good film on it called Gods of the New Age. She grew up partly in India, so she saw a lot of this stuff. She called me and talked to me about Harry Potter, and she brought up the Patronus thing. And she said, she asked me about it, and I said, yes, I thought about the thought form. And she said, yes, me too. She said, didn't that give you the chills? And I said, yes, it did. So, see, I wasn't the only one to notice that. <laughs> These are real occult concepts, and to be introduced to children through a children's book, first of all, it makes it seem harmless and innocent, and adults tend to dismiss it because it's a children's book, it's fiction, it's just fun. There can't be anything harmful in this. You know, the character's trying to do good. He's fighting a bad guy, et cetera. You have all these things in place to make it look innocent. And that's exactly, that's exactly how the occult gets accepted and the new age. Because either people just see it as innocent and they don't see what it really is, or because in the case of the new age, it always appears positive and helpful and healing. So it's there's always a disguise. And, and God's told us that. He told us that. Satan likes to disguise himself as an angel, as though he were an angel of light. And his ministers act like ministers of righteousness. And, and that's actually talking about real people. So Paul's saying these people appear to be Christians. And he's talking about a lot of the false apostles at the time. So, you know, this is something that still seems to be a message that a lot of Christians haven't gotten about evil disguised as good. Yes. One of the things that Christians need to be able to do, as the Bible teaches us, is to be able to discern truth from error, because we are surrounded by false images, uh, especially yes. that of the New Age and the occult all around us. And so, yeah. Marsha, in our closing moments here, how should parents explain the occult to their young children and help them to be discerning? Yes, and I do think you can start even, you know, maybe as young as five, if you're very concrete. You, of course, teach them that there is good and there is evil, and that sometimes evil can look good. You know, you, and that, you know I realize it's challenging with younger children because you don't want to scare them. But at the same time, they are very likely to encounter some of these things at very young ages because some of these cartoons and things are for very young children, and certainly books are for very young children. So they may come across that in some way. So you need to teach them, first of all, about good and evil. And God is the one who decides what's good and evil. And that good can look, I mean, evil can look good. And so we have to understand what God calls evil. Now, if they're a little older, you can show them maybe Deuteronomy 18, 10 and 11, and say these are practices that were done then that God warned about, but they are also done today. And you can give examples. You know, most kids, I would say most kids at least 10 years old certainly would know about astrology and have heard of that. Or casting spells. A lot of, a lot of people know about these things from Harry Potter. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know if, Harry, if children are reading Harry Potter now the way they did when they first came out, but I imagine that a lot of the parents now are fans of Harry Potter. They were the people that were emailing me way back, and maybe they're reading it to their children. I don't know. So a lot of them are familiar with some of these terms, whereas before they weren't, like divination. And you can explain that this is something God forbids because it is trying to get power that does not come from God or it is trying to get knowledge that does not come from God. And I actually have a book on um, the occult that was written specifically for parents called Spellbound, The Paranormal Seduction of Today's Kids. Now, it's very hard to get copies, but it's on Kindle. So you can at least get the Kindle version the copy, hard copies are from sellers, and the prices are so crazy. Sometimes they'll have a copy for $12, and sometimes it's like $68. You know, I don't understand the algorithms of the <laughs> how, how books are priced by sellers on, on Amazon, but, you know, and elsewhere, too, I, I don't know. But you can get it on Kindle or ebook, and I have at the end of every chapter, after the first three chapters where I explain what the occult is based on that passage in Deuteronomy 18, I go through each term and what it means. The rest of the book, I go into different areas like astrology, the Ouija board, you know, occult magic, talking to the dead. And at the end of each of those chapters, I have, uh, there's a little summary on how you can explain it to your child. And in most cases, I would say that that usually applies to a child, maybe age seven to, you know, 13, maybe, or maybe 14. So it's around those ages that you can use that or you can adapt it. You know, you can go in more detail if, if they're a little bit older. You can maybe make it less detailed if they're, if they're really young. But, I mean, you know, I explained the concept of the yin and yang symbol to a five-year-old one time and why it wasn't a good symbol and why it, it wasn't Christian. And I explained it by talking about Adam and Eve in the garden, the story of the fall, which, which she had heard. And I went over it again, and I said, God says what's good and evil, but they decided they would listen to the serpent, and they would decide what was good. And I said, so the yin and yang is actually saying good and evil are, can be equal and can be part of each other. They, they, don't ha they don't actually represent good and evil, but that's really what the concept ultimately is, because... In uh, Taoism, which the yin and yang comes from, there is no good or evil. The concept is everything is yin and yang, and they're constantly changing and becoming each other. So I told her that with that symbol, there wasn't, you know, I don't think I used the word absolute, but I explained it. There isn't absolute good and evil. You know, it's man decides. You can, younger children, a lot of younger children, um, I think especially Christian children, can understand that's great. You've been listening to our interview with Marcia Montenegro. She's a former astrologer and once heavily involved in the New Age. She now leads a ministry called Christian Answers for the New Age. And you can get more on Marcia on her website there. Marcia, tell us where they can find more information on you on the Internet. Sure. Thank you. ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org is my website. Um, if you want to see my articles, just go to the articles page. There's a page about my ministry on there and my mission agency. Also, I'm on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, I have a ministry page called Christian Answers for the New Age, and I post topics related to my ministry on that page. So those are the two main. I should also add, you can go on YouTube and put my name in. 
I have done many, many, many interviews and talks that a lot of them are on YouTube because the people who interview me put them on YouTube or there's some talks I've done that are on YouTube. So you can also go to YouTube and search or Google my name followed by YouTube and um, maybe by New Age and you should get some links there. Oh, one more way. If you go to my website and go to the schedule page, it shows programs that I've done and it has the links. So you can go to those links. You can see the topic. And if you're interested, you can click on the link and watch or listen. Those are great resources there for you, for all Christians there. So we're talking with Marcia Montenegro, leader of Christian Answers for the New Age. So Marcia, thanks for being a guest here once again on Evidence and Answers. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. So if you would like Pat to speak at your church, your Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, once again, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerberg.